KMTT, Kimitzion Tetzay Torah. Thursday, Thursday's Shir, the series on redemptive sketches with Harav Moshe Targan. The uh, Medrash in its comments to Tehillim, Parak Yudchas, highlights the difference in the way the final Pasuk of David HaMelech's Shira is written and the way it's read. In Shmuel Beis, Parak Chav Beis, David HaMelech articulates a very famous praise to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, Vaidaber David LaHashem, Estirei HaShira Azos, Biyom Hitzil HaShem Oso, Mikav Kol Oyevav Mikav Sha'ul. David HaMelech offers praise and song in gratitude to HaKadosh Baruch Hu for rescuing him from his enemies in general and from Shaul's dastardly intent in particular. Some very, very famous psukim which uh, we all cite at one time or another. Some of the psukim make their way or similar phrases make their way into Hallel. Hashem salim mitzidasi mufaltili Elokei Elokei tziri echsebo magini v'keren yeshi miskabi uminusi Im chasit chasad a little bit later in the parak, very famous and powerful psukim celebrating Hakadosh Baruch Hu's redemption. In this case, a personal redemption, but a personal redemption which has national consequences because David Hamelach will ascend the throne, initiate Malchus based David, which ultimately will build the Beis Hamikdash and come as close as the Jewish people ever were to Yimus Hamashiach. Parak Chaf concludes with a pasuk which describes HaKadosh Baruch Hu's redemption in, agri- in architectural terms. Magdil or Migdol Yeshua's Malko, Viyose Chesed Limshicho, LeDavid or Lazaro Ad Olam. The Pasuk actually writes, the, the letters are Mem Gimel Dalid Yud Lamid, which would be read typically as Magdil, without the Vav separating the Dalid and the Lamid, this is an example of a Korean exiv in which the text is written one way but is meant to be read or recited a different manner. So there's a tension or a complementary um, level of meaning between the Korean exiv. It's written Magdil, but it's said or recited Migdol, and of course we're probably most familiar at a common level with the difference between Magdil and Migdol from our benching. In benching during the week we recite Magdil, during Brechas HaMazal on Shabbos and Yom Tov and Yerush we recite Migdol. But the Medrash in Tehillim, Paragudchas, highlights the difference. Amar of Yudan, Lefisha'in ha'geula shalumazu ba bevasachas. Elakima kima. Umahu magdil, shi miskadeles veholachas lefne Yisrael. Both terms refer to a fortress, a tall tower an architectural image of triumph, of construction. And of course, in the case of David HaMelech, laboring to construct his own house and his own dynasty, and in the literal sense, yearning to construct the Beis HaMikdash, this has a very, very potent, powerful, uh, metaphoric value. But either way, it's a reference to redemption. It's a reference to establishing Jewish monarchy and sovereignty. The Pasuk doesn't just refer to Migdol as it's recited, which would refer to a large, imposing place, but Magdil, which at least according to the Medrash, refers to a process. As the Medrash says, Umahu Magdil, 
Shehi misgadeles v'holechas l'fnei Yisrael. Geula is a slowly emerging, a slowly developing process. As the Medrash continues, Lafishahin Achshav Sheruyim Bitsaros Gidolos, Am Yisrael is subjugated and persecuted. Vim Tavo Hagiullah Bivasachas had redemption been immediate, Enam Yecholim Lisbol Yeshua Gidola, Shehiba Mitachsaros Gidolos, Lakachiba Kima Kima Umiskadelis Beholachas. The Medrash offers a practical or pragmatic reason for the evolutionary and gradual nature of redemption, that it's too revolutionary, if it happens too immediately, be too revolutionary for the human and national spirit to fully internalize and to fully absorb. Somehow it would be difficult for a nation plunged into such depths of despair to experience such an epiphanious or radical transition into redemption. And this is the message latent in David HaMelech's praise, even though it's written or recited, Migdol is written Magdil. A similar imagery, mentioned by that same Medrash, is also recited, is also quoted, in a very interesting and famous Bishalmi describing Rabbi Chia and Abshim ben Chalafta, who were walking near the Kinneret, near modern-day Tiveria, in the valley of Arabel overlooking the Kinneret Lake. It's a beautiful kibbutz, kibbutz Arabel, with a very scenic mountain or scenic uh, area that overlooks the sunrise above the Kinneret. They were walking, Hayumahalchim, the Yishami and Yoma writes in Paragimel, Halacha Beis, Hayumahalchim Bahada Bikas Arabel. They were walking through the valley of Arabel. Ra'u Ayelas Hashachar Shebaka'ura. They noticed the sunrise. They noticed the rays of the sun splitting the horizon. Shabaka ura. Up at dawn. Amar Rebchia Ruba L'Rubshim Ben Chalafta Barebi Rebchia told Rebshim Ben Chalafta Kachi Du'ulasan Shal Yisrael. This sunrise captures the dynamic of Am Yisrael's redemption. Betchila Kima Kima the same language. Initially it happens in small installments and stages. Kol however, as it emerges, as it develops, hioleches umeir. The light increases and augments until a full redemption is achieved. There are some differences between the imagery of Magdil versus Migdol and the metaphor of sunrise. Most notably, sunrise is a purely natural phenomena, which is not aided or assisted in any way by human hands, whereas the concept of constructing a fortress is a thoroughly human experience, and this is an issue which Mir Hashem's subsequent Shi'urim will address. Is there a human role in ultimate Gula? But the common denominator between these two sources is the highlighting of the notion which is not automatically intuited, or it's not intuitive by the human mind. The very mention of redemption suggests radical, revolutionary, even apocalyptic change. HaKadosh Baruch Hu descending into our world and repairing it in divine fashion in a manner that human hands cannot. And at least to our simple imagination, it would seem to be quick and rapid. 
which seem to be instantaneous. And in many ways to confound and to reject that notion, Chazal remind us that the process of Gula will not be instant, will not be quick, will not be immediate, but it's just that. It's a process. The sunrise is a metaphor for Geula is actually um, referenced well before Chazal incidentally saw that sunrise. It's already latent. A very famous series of psukim in the sixth parak of Shir Hashirim. Achasi onasi tamasi, achasi liima barahi liolata, ra'ua banos vayashua melachosufi lakshim vayhalua. Mizos hanishkafa kimal shachar, who is that who appears as the morning sun, yafa kalavana, barakachama, ayuma kanidgalos. Interestingly enough, in this Pasuk, the second Pasuk, Shir Hashir and Perak Vav, Pasuk Yud, both images of redemption, of gradual redemption, are alluded to. Hanishkafa Kemoshachar, where a nation which is redeemed gradually as the rising sun emerges gradually. Ayuma Kanidgalos. And we are imposing. Nidgalos literally means a flag, a degel. An army or a people that marches under a flag. But Chazal very often switch the inner letters of a powerful or potent phrase, and the term Nidgal, Nun Dalit Gimel Lamid, is also read by Chazal in the Medrash as Nigdal, a tower. So this is a very uh, quiet Pasuk in Shir Hashirim, but it's a Pasuk that, intriguingly enough, contains the two metaphors which Chazal employed to remind us, as difficult as it is for the human imagination, that redemption is not instantaneous, but gradual. There's a third metaphor, which Chazal saw, in addition to the Tower of David, and to the rising sun above the Kinneret, or the sun described in Shir Hashirim, it's an animal. Shir Hashirim is a rich and, um, and, and lush sefer, laced with metaphor for Am Yisrael's relationship with HaKadosh Baruch Hu, materials, landscapes, precious metals, colors, animals. Shlomo HaMelech is displaying the full sweep of his imagination, of his intellect, and marshalling all of that vast knowledge and exposure to try to capture this infinite relationship between the divine and his selected people. But amongst all the animals, there really are two that stand out. There's a real plethora of animals in Shir Hashir, but the two animals that figure most prominently are, of course, Am Yisrael's being compared to doves, a Nayich Yonim, the Pasuk I read before in Shir Hashir and Parak Vav, Achasi Yonasi Tamasi, we are a raven or a dove. And HaKadosh Baruch Hu, for his part, is constantly being compared to a gazelle, to a deer. Comes bounding over the mountains. Chazal take this as a reference to Hakadosh Baruch Hu's swift introduction of redemption, even when it's unexpected. In the case of Mitzrayim, Hakadosh Baruch Hu swept into the history of the Egyptian exile, even though the term or the time limit of Galus had yet to be reached. But the Medrash in several locations, one location being Bamidbar Rabbah, Parsha Yud Aleph, 
since there's a different reason that a Kodesh Baruch Hu is likened to a gazelle, to a deer. Domeh dodi litzvi ma hatzvi hazeh nigle vichoser vinichse a deer sometimes darts from thicket to thicket leaping out from behind a tree and subsequently concealing itself behind another brush or a tree. So at least optically, a deer appears and disappears, emerges and is concealed. The original Geula in Mitzrayim was not immediate, but it was one which occurred in stages. And not only did it occur in stages, here's the key point of this Medrash, beyond the Yushami and Yoma and the Medrash and Tehillim. But it even at least appeared to regress. What happened? The Medrash continues, it cites Rabbi Tanhuma, a very famous contributor to Medrash. Moshe Rabbeinu retreats to the house of Yisro in the end of Parsha Shemos for three months. Moshe had originally approached Paro and his court, brimming with the confidence of HaKadosh Baruch Hu's mission, armed with his various signs to convince Paro, and perhaps equally importantly to convince Am Yisrael. Moshe had doubted Am Yisrael's readiness to believe in their own redemption. And HaKadosh Baruch Hu, to a degree identified with that doubt and provided Moshe with the types of signs and symbols which hopefully would convince them. But unfortunately, Paro is recalcitrant. Mi Hashem asher takes false confidence from his own magician's ability to duplicate Moshe Rabbeinu's signs and performances. And instead of acceding to Moshe's wishes or even granting part of his request, he shoes Moshe away, evicts him from his court, and of course, severely increases the workload. An increase which leads Am Yisrael to in some ways scorn Moshe and Aaron. Why did you cause this excess suffering? Since you've come, all Am Yisrael has experienced, rather than redemption, they've experienced um, deepening, deepening enslavement. And Moshe Rabbeinu is scorned not just by Paro, but by Am Yisrael, in the end of Parakei, Vayifgu es Moshe v'yes Aaron yitzavim lekrosam b'tseisam e'es Paro, they encounter Moshe and Aaron as they depart the court of Paro, Vayomer Elihem, Yireh Hashem Aleichem, Hashem should visit upon you all the suffering you've caused us, V'yishpot asher Hashem esrecheinu. Moshe is obviously dispirited, he turns to Kodesh Baruch Hu, Vayashev Moshe el Hashem, this is in the end of Parakei, Vayomer Hashem, Lama Hariosa Lam Hazeh, why did you send me? Why did you dispatch me? Just to cause more suffering, more hardship. Nothing good has come of my visit, if anything. The redemption that I've launched, that had begun to cycle, not only was paused, but seemingly regressed. According to Chazal, at this point, in the transition or the juncture between Parshas Shemos and Parshas Vaera, Moshe flees Mitzrayim and returns, a wounded, failed redeemer, 
back to his father's house, his father-in-law's house in Midian. In the eye of the average bystander, Moshe's redemption had screeched to a halt. Of course, thousands of years of historical hindsight reminds us that it was just that. A temporary lag or pause in the great but complicated machinery of redemption, which is why Parsha's Vaira launches almost a new chapter, Vayomer Hashem al Moshe Tatereh, Asher Parel, the conclusion of Shemos, the beginning of Vaira, Vaydaber Lokim al Moshe, Vayomer Lavani Hashem, Vaira al Avraham al Yitzchak, Vail Yaakov, Bekel Shakai, Shmi Hashem, Loradati Lahem. Why is Akadish Baruch introducing himself to Moshe? He already appeared to him at the Sneh, because this is essentially a fresh start. The redemption after three months, not just of a pause, but of a regression, is now about to gather momentum and regain some of its energy. And this is why Akadish Baruch as our Redeemer, and Akadish Baruch as our Redeemer in Mitzrayim is referred to as a Tzvi, metaphorically. Maha Tzvi Hazen Nigla V'chozer the Medrash continues. Rabbi Berechia b'shem Rabbi Levi. The Medrash in Bamidbar Arba, Parsha Yud Aleph. Kegoel Harishon. Kach Goel Ha'achron. Just like the original redemption occurred, not just in stages, as the metaphors of a building and of a sunrise would suggest, but it wasn't linear. It advanced and then regressed. Two steps forward, one step back. So our ultimate redemption will occur not just in a stage and gradual fashion, but in a manner that is not linear, that can surge and can wane, that can advance and can regress. In fact, if the redemption from Egypt was characterized by appearance and disappearance, by emergence and concealment, certainly the ultimate ke'ula, the very famous Pasuk in Yeshaya Nun Beis, recited during one of the Hataras, Perak Nun Beis, Pasuk Yud Beis. Ki lo bechipazon tetzeu, uvim nusa lo telechun. Unlike the Geula of Mitzrayim, which is described twice through the term chipazon, immediacy, electric, instant, quick and rapid, the ultimate Geula is in many ways the antithesis, the opposite of that type of geula. Yeshaya promises us, Ki lo We will not be delivered from our ultimate long gaulus instantly and quickly. Uvim nusa, we will not be redeemed hurriedly. Ki olech lefnechem Hashem, Hashkarish Baruch will march before you, Ma'asifchem, and will march behind you, Ok Yisrael, the God of Israel. Even the Galus Mitzrayim, which is characterized through the term of Chippazon, even that Geula occurred in stages and with apparent lags and lapses and regressions to the person living through the process of redemption. Obviously, in the sweep of history, three months is the bat of an eyelash. Certainly, the Medrash reasons that our Geula from this long and torturous Galus cannot expect it to be, we cannot expect it to be immediate or quick. That meant to be rapid. And therefore we require the type of stamina and patience to look at the tzvi, then to recognize the different 
phases of Gula, to recognize that it may be concealed. There were times over the last 60 years in which we felt the deer looking out at us. When we finally returned to Eretz Yisrael, after the Six-Day War and the euphoria of recapturing Beis HaMikdash, the coastal Hamaravi, the heartland of Jewish history, many other moments in the history of our return to Eretz Yisrael. But there have been other moments, and perhaps more moments, in which we didn't immediately sense the presence of the deer. We looked out in the forest, we looked into the thicket, and we didn't notice it. It doesn't mean the deer isn't there, waiting to reemerge, waiting to reappear, and to restart the momentum of Geula. What are the different stages of Geula? It appears that it's gradual, it's evolutionary. But what are the different stages at which Geula occurs? To understand the stages of Geula, it's necessary to first understand the stages of Galus. In Bereshis Perak Tasvav, in Parshas Lech Lecha, HaKadosh Baruch Hu introduces Avram Avinu, at that point he's still named Avram, to the prospect of Galus. Vayomer li Avram, Perak Tasvav Pasuk Yud Gimel, Yodoa Teda, Kiger Yazaracha Be'eretz Lo Lahem, the first Galus will span 400 years. Of course, it's well known that we were persecuted and actually lived in Mitzrayim. If you tally the full term in Mitzrayim, both the years that we lived there as well as the years that we were in bondage, we were there for 210 years. What happened to the missing 190 years. After all, HaKadosh Baruch Hu had promised Avraham Avinu 400 years of Galus. Of course, a question which every single biblical commentator responds to. The answer is, and this is in part what some of the, the Rishonim answer, 400 years begin when Yitzchak is born. Why is that considered Galus? Just because Yitzchak is born, they lived in Eretz Yisrael, they weren't enslaved. Because the 400 years of Galus comprise two different phases of Galus. The second most intense, most acute stage of Galus, of course, are the 210 years of actual residence in Mitzrayim, both physical, financial, and in some ways cultural enslavement. That covered 210 years. But 190 years before actually descending into Mitzrayim, more or less from the time that Yitzchak was born, even though Galus did not express itself physically or geographically, we still remained in Eretz Yisrael. The first phase of Galus, though, saw us without sovereignty, without control of the land of Israel, unable to live where we would like or how we would like. HaKadosh Baruch Hu tells Avram, Yodoa teda ki ger yezar acha bi'eretz lo lahem doesn't mention Mitzrayim. He mentions a land which isn't theirs. That land which isn't theirs, the Eretz Lo Lahem, can just as easily refer to Israel without sovereignty as it does to refer to Mitzrayim. So the first stage of the 400 years, 190, the second phase, will actually be persecuted and enslaved down in Egypt. The fact that the Avos lived in Eretz Yisrael subsequent to Yitzchak's 
birth without full sovereignty and control is evident in each three of the Avos examples and lifetimes. When Avram has to haggle with the people of Hebron over a burial plot for his wife, after all, this is the promised land, the chosen land, the land that has been earmarked for Avraham. He should march into Hebron and be offered any and every plot he chooses. He has to haggle, negotiate, meet the people of B'nai Ches, request the audience with Ephron Achiti. Avraham acknowledges that the Golos has already begun. Ger v'toshav anochi machem. I am living the legacy of the Brisbane Abbasarim, and I am already enduring the first phase of Golos. Ger v'toshav. HaKadosh Baruch Hu told him, Ger yezaracha. And in Perach of Gimel, Avraham both acknowledges and embraces this historical lot. Ger v'toshav anochi machem, he says, Tenuli achuz askeveri machem v'yakbara mesimil fanoi. A few prokim later, in Parshas told us, Yitzchak never leaves the land of Israel geographically or physically. HaKadosh Baruch Hu implores him not to leave, even faced with a famine, and faced with the option which his father chose of departing during a time of famine. Vayera elav Hashem, parak chavav pasak beis, vayomer al tered Mitzrayim, shchon ba'aretz, asher amare lacha, please do not descend to Mitzrayim, Pasuk Gimel Hashem tells him, Gur ba'aretz hazos, live, but you will not live where you'd like and how you'd like with full sovereignty. And though Yitzchak never leaves the land of Eretz Yisrael, perhaps his lifetime is fraught with more struggles over the land and the wells and the location, struggling to carve out his own homestead and heartland, much to the um, opposition of his surrounding neighbors, primarily Avimelech, he struggles with acquiring land in Israel more than any, more than his father, more than his son, Yaakov. Finally, when Yaakov returns from a forced exile in the house of Lavan, where he was actually absent from Eretz Israel for upwards of 20 years, and he finally returns to the land that he had been promised, the chosen land, Eretz Yisrael, and yet he has to face the murderous threat of, a- of Esav, so in Perak Lamed Beis, Yaakov says, When you meet Esav, you should greet him with the following announcement, Ko amar avdecha Yaakov, im lavan garti, I was forced to be an actual ger, and now that I'm in Eretz Yisrael, I recognize that as the continuation of my lot, facing Esav's strong arm and Esav's influence in the land of Eretz Yisrael. Namely, Galos occurs in two stages. The 400 years of Galos occurs in two stages. First, we lose full sovereignty and control over the land. Second, we are actually evicted from the land. Towards the end of Sefer Beratius, we witness that this reality, this condition of not exercising full authority over the land, this is still very much in place. Yaakov Avinu's death is described, and the request to be buried in Eretz Yisrael in Maras HaMachpela, as well as the actual burial, and continuously and consistently, Maras HaMachpela is described as belonging to Ephron Achiti. Perak Memtas, Pasach Haftas, Vayitzav Asam Vayomer Lehem Anin Asaf Alami, 
I will die, Yaakov tells his children. Bury me, El Hamira Asher Bistefranachiti. In the cave which is lodged within Ephraim's land. Bamira Asher Bistamachpela, the cave, it's in the Stamachpela, Asher Al Pere Mamre, which is near Mamre, Be'eretz Kinan. Asher Kanav Rahames Asadem, Me'es, Ephron Hachiti, Lachuzas Kaver, the land which Avram purchased. Shama Pasuk Laman Aleph reminds us, Yaakov told his children, I buried Avram in Sarah, Yitzchak in Rivka, Avram in Sarah buried, Yitzchak in Rivka buried, and there of course Leah is buried, and again the Torah repeats, the land, the homestead, and its cave, Yaakov dies, and in the next parak, they travel to Israel, the local inhabitants witness this very, very moving ceremony, Evel Kavezel and Mitzrayim, the locals recognize there are some visitors here who are burying their dead in our land. Pasuk Yud Gimel, the final parak in Brachis, Vayisu Asab Anav Arza Kenan, Vayikpur Asab Bimara Steya Machpila, Asher Kana Avraham Mesasada Lachusas Kaver Meisefron Achitia Pnei Mamre. Enough with Mamre, enough with Ephron, enough with Bnei Chais. Yeah, Avraham had purchased this land. This was the country Akadosh Baruch Hu had promised him. We would hope that after all the struggle and, and, and efforts of Parshas Sefer Barashas and the tragedy of Sefer Barashas, at least the land can be referred to as our land. And yet we're just visitors, and we're visitors, of course, in both senses of the word. We're visitors, actually, because we now live in Mitzrayim, and we're visitors legally, because our hold is not fully recognized by society. And Sefer Barashas concludes with this very potent reminder that Gullus really appears to us and torments us in two phases. Well, if Gullus emerges in two phases, then the inversion or the repair and the rehabilitation of Gullus, namely Geula, also occurs in two phases. First, Geula, the first phase of Geula defeats the geographical dislocation. We return to our land. We gather from exile. We enter the land of Israel. Baruch Hashem, we've witnessed the defeat of the first phase of Gaulus. We've returned to our homeland. However, the second phase of Gaulus still tortures us, still challenges us. We live in our land, but we don't have the ability to live where we would like and how we would like, independent of a person's particular viewpoint, whether it's the opposition of an international community, the threat of Arab terror, our own timidity, our own political indecisiveness, whatever it may be, we're still haunted by our inability to stretch our sovereignty over this entire land. But that doesn't mean that the process is less redemptive. It just means that we're in the midst of the process, having already overcome, having already overwhelmed the physical dislocation, the intense second phase of Golos, having returned to Eretz Yisrael, having reversed phase B of Golos, we now set our attention and our energies to extending our sovereignty, to integrating the various tribes and cultures that have returned to Eretz Yisrael, into extending our sovereignty. Even in the days of Yehoshua, when we marched triumphantly and, and supernaturally into the land of Israel, 
took us 14 years to capture and to divide and still there were many many tribes which still uh, troubled us until David HaMelech absolutely evicted the Yavusi from Yushalayim hundreds of years elapsed so we find ourselves at this historical moment having already triumphed over the second and more intense form of Gullus and returned to our land we now face the great challenge of sustaining and reinforcing our sovereignty to be able one day to live in Eretz Yisrael where we would like, when we would like, and how we would like.